0: Is anybody else with me today excited to get into the man? Listen, last week, wow, what a Sunday! What truth, what, 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 what power, um, thought about it all week, gotten feedback all week and learned about it. I love it so much. Uh, this week, we're going to go into week two of this new series, Binge the Bible. If you remember, uh, if you were here last week, you know we started this series and the whole goal is we're going to walk through the Bible and figure out what is God teaching us in the Bible, in the books of the Bible, um, what, who wrote them. Because you have to remember it's important to know who wrote them, why they wrote them, when they wrote them. Here's why. The Bible wasn't written to you. I know some of y'all are like, what? What? It wasn't written to you. It wasn't like, hey, dear Bert and Brandy. No. It wasn't any of that. And the Bible wasn't written to you. The Bible was written for you. There's things in it for you. And so if it wasn't written to you, who was it written to? Well, we gotta understand that to understand a lot of a lot of scripture. And um is the Word of God. And, and if you want to know more about the Bible and you want to understand why it's important and you want to understand how we continue to grow and how we continue to move forward and how do we read it, how do we understand it, welcome to Binge the Bible. Because this is the series for you over the next several months and honestly, probably a couple of years, we're going to jump into this thing. We're going to go through the Old Testament, um, and we're going to do it in seasons. Uh, we, we all find, you know, the shows like Stranger Things, right? And we binge them, and we go crazy on them. That's what we want to do with the Bible. We want to binge the Bible for a little while, then we'll take a break. We'll take a breather, catch our breath, because it can be a lot. Come on, it can be a lot. And uh, we're going to take our time, and then we're going to jump on it. Here's our goal. We want to read the Bible. We want to understand the Bible. We want to apply the Bible. And watch this. I'm, I'm trying to help us all get to a place where we don't just go, hey, God, hey, God, what do, you, what do you have for me today? Okay, here's a random verse, Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. <laughs> That's not very encouraging, God. A broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't just grab a random verse and just go, oh, that's my verse, and we don't know anything about it. I want us to walk away knowing about it. So here's what you're going to need through the series, right? We always say it like this, note takers are what? History makers, right? So you're going to need notes, you're going to need Bibles, all that stuff. You're going to want to come prepared to take notes, because you're not going to be able to grab all this with just your ears. I'm just letting you know, right? It's going to take a while. In fact, I had so many people come up to me last week and go, hey, I took like four pages of notes today, and I'm going to go back and re-listen to this week, and go back with my notes, and I'm going to try to like digest some of this again. I sat in a session, honestly, I'm not going to go into detail, but I sat in a room this week with some of the premier leaders of America, and I thought, I should not be in this room. Like, what in the world am I doing sitting in this room? I took, y'all, 10 to 15 pages of notes over the course of the day on leadership, and I, when I came back, my staff, they all were like, hey, tell me something about it. How was it? And I just looked at them. It was my universal response. I gave them a little something, and I was like, hey, it's going to take me days and weeks to process this. You're going to feel like that at times. And can I tell you something? That is okay. That is okay. But by the end of today, you're going to be able to know a lot more about Genesis. And you're going to be able to know who wrote it, why they wrote it, when they wrote it, who they wrote it to. And what does it mean for you today? It's going to be good. But i got a quiz for you first, all right? Can, can we all wake up on this rainy, cold, it's cold, y'all, in, in May in South Carolina. Like what in the world is going on? This is dumb. But on a rainy and cold Memorial Day weekend, I want to, I want to, I want to wake you up a little bit. I want to have a little bit uh, of a quiz for you. Okay. All right. Here we go. How many? And you don't have to say them out loud. Uh, Write them down if you want. But no, no. You know what? Shout them to me. Even in Florence. Shout, shout them so I can hear you. Right. Um, How many books are in the Bible? Sixty-six. That's right. That's good. I know you said sixty-six, and you're like, I can't. Don't mess up and add another six on the end of that. Don't. Don't. It's okay. Right? How many? How many books are in the Bible? Sixty-six. That's right. Uh, what are the first five books of the Bible called? Pentateuch, Torah. Exactly. Both of them are correct. You'd call them either one. Some of you knew that. Some of you didn't. Right? Here, here we go. Here's another one. How many tribes of Israel were there? Okay, all right, you guys are getting there, okay. But I, I will be honest, the crowd's getting a little less. The volume's getting a little a little less. Here, here we go. Where did God, not when, but where, not the book of the Bible, the physical location, where did God give Moses the Ten Commandments? There we go. All right, it went up a little bit on that one. I think some of you are like, I'll hear an answer and then just repeat that now. I'm just kidding. Who built the first temple in Jerusalem? Ah, King Solomon. King Solomon built the first temple in Jerusalem. Now, can I, can I be transparent with you? I sat through a, a, a session about two, two and a half years ago, um, with, about two years ago, with, uh, going through the Old Testament, history, culture, all this stuff. This is where a lot of this is born from, and the study of it began. Um, and I didn't know the answer. It was a lot more questions than this. They gave a quiz at the beginning, and I looked at the guy, Pastor Dean Herman, great friend of mine. Um, I looked at him, and I said, I don't deserve to be a pastor. Here's my, here's my ordination certificate. Like, Here's my college degree. Here's everything. Like, I'm done, man. I'm out of here, right? But it, it, here's why I say that. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay that you don't know all that. It's just not okay to stay there. Why is all that important? Well, no, why does it doesn't matter where I know where Moses gave, or God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Well, we're going to find that out in just a moment. But it's important to know because of context. Because a lot of times, if we miss context, we miss point. Because the Bible wasn't written to you, it was written to someone else, but it's for you. And we have to know all that. There, there's something interesting that happened. The Center for Bible Engagement uh, did a study of about 40,000 people ages 8 to 80. And their purpose was to discover how were people engaging in Scripture. And here's here's what they said. When people engaged in Scripture one time per week, which could include a pastor instructing the congregation to open your Bible. So, can I be honest? Statistically, that is when most people read the Bible, and that is the only time most Christians read the Bible. Most people have a Sunday Bible or a church Bible, and it's not opened any other time of the week unless it's accidentally knocked off their nightstand. Come on, y'all wake up with me today. It's okay, right? It says when when they engaged one time a week, there was negligible effect on some key areas of their life. Some minor, like little minor tweaks, changes. Um, The same result happened when they engaged in Scripture twice a week. Little to no effect, right? So you're reading it once, you're reading it twice. Here's why. You're probably just doing a little checklist. You got your YouVersion app up, right? And you're like, I'm going to get started. And you start a seven-day plan, and you have a three-day streak, and then you're like, I'm done. I've done good, God. Look at me, right? Three times a week, you begin to see a small indication of life of the scriptures that you're reading. In other words, you start to change some things. Things start to go up. There's a slight... Pulse, But when you start to read it at minimum four times a week, this is what they saw. Four times a week. That's not even reading it three days. Three extra days. This is four days a week. Feeling lonely begins to drop 30%. This is statistical. Anger issues drop 32%. Bitterness in relationships drop 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Sex outside of marriage drops 68%. Now, watch this. Notice this does not say for single people. Why is everybody so quiet today? This is for everybody. Sex outside of marriage drops 68%. Let's keep going. They found more. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Viewing pornography drops 61%. Sharing your faith jumps. 200%. 200%. If I'm not inviting people to church, I might could trace it back to the fact that I'm not reading the Bible. Wow. And I don't understand the importance of it in the first place. Discipling others, spending time helping others grow in their faith, not trying to help get others to help me grow in mine. Discipling others jumps 230%. By just reading the Bible, four days a week. That's the power of the Word of God. Here's why. Spending time with the Bible is spending time with Jesus. You have to know this. Spending time with the Bible is not to get a streak on you, version it's not to check something off. It's not, oh, man, Jesus, I'm sorry. I forgot to read the Bible today. Let, let me, I'm half asleep. I'm not going to understand anything I read. Let me get up and read five verses real quick. No, that's not. When you spend time in the Bible, you are spending time with Jesus. Some of you are like, I wish I could spend more time with Jesus. Can I tell you? It's not just prayer and worship. Those are two key facts and that we need to spend time with. But it's also opening the Bible and finding out what the Word says. Why is it spending time with Jesus? It's very simple. In John chapter 1, verses 1-5, through 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, we could just stop right there, and we could prove the fact that right here, that this is talking about Jesus. But let's keep reading and we'll get to that in a minute. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Right? So let's go back. Who is the Bible? It says, the Word was, watch this, let's go back for a minute. The Word was, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. There's only two people that were with God in the beginning. Jesus and the Holy Spirit. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. Well, if you go on and you read John 1, 14, it tells us, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. We are seeing right there John 3:16 comes out that he gave his only what? begotten son. You can only be a son if you are the you can only have a son if you are the father. So here's what he's alluding to. Jesus is the word. That's why when you spend time in the Bible, you are spending time with Jesus. But there's something interesting that takes place if you go back. I'm just going to hit this quickly because I want you to see how Scripture connects with Scripture to prove Scripture and to prove power. Watch this. It says, in the beginning, he was with God, right? Genesis chapter 1, if you read verse 1, it says, and they were with God. They were together, God and them. Who was them? Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity were together. Okay, so that means that the Bible, the Word, is one of those three. So then you have to go to the rest of the explanation that, uh, uh, that says that he was the life, and he was the light, and he was flesh, and all those things. But if you look in John chapter 14 and verse 6, what does Jesus call himself? The life. He says, I am the life. And then if you go to John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light. Are you connecting scripture here now? Are you seeing how you can come to the conclusion by knowing and understanding the word of God, what the power of the word of God is? When we spend time with the Bible, we are spending time with Jesus. It's proven over and over and over again that the word of God is the son of God. It is Jesus And so, as we go through this today, what I really want to do is, I want to, I want to, we're going to go through this series and we're going to really go through four main time periods over the course of this series, right? So we start at creation, and then we'll hit Abraham around 2,000 B.C. You'll, we'll, we'll talk about Moses, which was around four, 1,500 B.C. We'll talk about King David, who was around about 1,000 B.C. And then we'll talk about the exile, where the Babylonians came in, and they took captive, and they got them out to Babylon, and all this stuff begins to take place. We'll get to the end of the Old Testament, <clears throat> and we'll look at the exile. That's the four main periods of what were really, really, really... Going to talk about and we'll end, like I said, uh, with the Jerusalem going into Babylonian captivity. Now, here's what we have to know. Let's start in Genesis. You got to start at the beginning. You got to understand it all. Are you still with me today? Yeah. All right, let's go. We're going into Genesis today. Who wrote Genesis? Well, that's a great question. All scripture, before we answer that question, you gotta have to know this, and we're going to talk about this every week. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You have to understand: man wrote the Bible; God inspired the Bible. We talked about that extensively last week. But before we actually understand who wrote the Bible, you have to understand who wrote the man, who inspired the man. Who inspired the one that wrote Genesis? It was God. Because all scripture is what? God breathed, inspired by God, and it is profitable. So every time you look at scripture, you can know that it is beneficial for your teaching. It is beneficial for your correction and reproof. And it is beneficial to train you to become righteous like God, to become as righteous as God. So let's keep going. Who wrote the Bible? Who wrote Genesis? It was written by a man named Moses. Anybody ever heard of Moses? Yeah, you, you will in just a minute if you haven't. It was written by Moses. It was written around 1400 B.C. Okay? Uh, Genesis was written to... Not you! Genesis was written as a history book. As a book to tell the next generation of Israelites about their history. Why is that important to know? Because there, I was having this conversation with somebody this morning. There's a group of people that believe... <clears throat> That you can just point to anything in the Bible and go, well, that might be, fair. That might be fake. That might be parable. No. If it's written as, the next genera- as a history book to the next generation, watch this. There are parables, and there are things in the Bible that are figurative language, but this is history where Moses is going, hey, young Israelites, next generation, I want you to know the sacrifices of your predecessors, I want you to know the sacrifices of your mom, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, your great-grandma, your great-grandpa, and everybody else. But I want you to know the faithfulness of God at the same time. Because if we don't know the history, we are bound to repeat it. Let me, let me actually change that. <clears throat> Not if we don't know the history. If we don't learn from history, we are bound to repeat it. And actually, actually... I believe that as we get into the Old Testament, you'll see where we haven't learned from some of this history, and we are literally repeating it today. And it's just biblical, it's just there, it's just practical. And Genesis actually means origin or formation. So, what Moses is trying to teach the next generation is this here's where it all began. This is where you began, this is where they began. This is where it goes. As we get into Genesis, as you read through the book of Genesis, you're going to notice four main people, four main characters. Every good movie, every good TV show has characters, right? Villains and heroes and main characters. Here's the four main characters in Genesis. Adam, Noah, Abraham, and Joseph. Some of which we're going to talk about today. Some of which over the next 20, 25 minutes we're going to talk about, 15 minutes we're going to talk about. But these are the four, as you read through it, I'm reading through the book of Genesis right now with my family. We read about a chapter a night, and I walked my kids through all this last night, and they walked away knowing uh, about the book of Genesis. They know the four main people in Genesis, which they may forget that part, if I'm honest, because I gave them a lot of information yesterday. But Adam, Noah, Abraham, and Joseph. Now, here's the thing. Before we get into this, I want you to hear me. I'm not talking about all of them in order. You're going to read the book of Genesis, and as you do, you'll see this. Today, we're going to break the book of Genesis up into three main moments, or movements. I'm going to call them movements. And here's the thing. Each movement has a takeaway for you, has a takeaway for what you live, for how you live today. And I'm just going to be real, real honest. This is why I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Y'all don't seem excited, but I'm excited. I love it. <clears throat> here's the thing. I love this because I believe that once you see the three movements of the Genesis and the takeaways that coincide with them, I don't think you can unsee it. I don't think you'll ever read Genesis the same again because you'll see, and you got to understand this, the Bible is one linear story with a scarlet thread of the blood of Jesus just holding it all together. And as you begin to understand the Old Testament and the New Testament, you begin to see where Jesus and God is setting something up. In fact, the book of Genesis, when we end, we'll talk about it, is actually setting up one of the greatest things that ever happened to the nation of Israel. It's all setting it up. But let's, let's go ahead. Let's go to movement number one. Movement number one is creation. I know, shocker, right? The first book in the Bible, first chapter in the Bible, <clears throat> creation. How, how dare they? How, how dare we start with creation? You can look in Genesis chapter 1 through uh, 11, and you can see where creation takes place. In fact, if you'll turn with me uh, to Genesis 1. We're going to go ahead and go there. It's the first chapter in the Bible, right? In my book, in my Bible, uh, it doesn't even have page number. It is page one. It is page one. Sometimes they count the, the, the appendix, too. But here's what it says. In the beginning, creation, in the beginning. Pastor Travis, can I stop for a second? Will you run back there and grab me a cough drop off my desk for, for me, please? I don't know why my throat is suddenly really dry. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Okay, I think we can all say, there's creation. (laughs) There's the beginning. That's where it all starts. And now, here's what happens over the next... Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. uh, Over the next several chapters, what happens? or verses, sorry. It details the next six days. It details. Hey, he spoke to the heavens, and there was the sun and the moon, and there was the sea, and there was the land, and there was the sand, and there was the animals that crawl and the animals that fly. There were all these things. Now, here's what happens, and, and this has already happened to me once today in talking about this. Is some people get caught up in what was it six God-sized days, or was it six man days, or was it six like hours, or what? Like what was it? Because the Bible says that a day in His courts is like a thousand days elsewhere, and all this. I think, what is it? And I tell you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it's fun to talk about. It's fun to theorize about. It's fun to try to figure out. But can I tell you, stop getting hung up on things that don't matter. Yeah. Sometimes there's just things that we just go, oh, that's a fun conversation. But it doesn't necessarily matter. Now, here's what it happens in, in creation. That's one and two. Let's keep going. 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image. So he created the heavens and the earth. And then he creates man. This would be a good one for us to remember today, in today's world. Then God said, let us make man in our image. God created man in, our, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them. Why is that important to know? Because you have a purpose that was given by God. There's no man. There's no woman. There's no belief. There's no system. There's no politic. There's nothing in this world that can tell you your worth better than the creator of you. There's nothing. There's no one. Because why? Because before you were, God was. Before you were, God was. I know, it feels like the whole earth began when we were born. Can I tell you, before you were, God was. And after you'll be, God will be. God's still in control. Genesis 1 is all about understanding God is the creator of it all. And then you keep going. You got Genesis 2. We're going walk to through, walk through these quick. You got Genesis 2, creates man and woman. You got Genesis 3, where man and woman, you got the fall, right? They're in the Garden of Eden. You got sin takes place. They go up to the, to the fruit. They go up to the tree. And they're like, oh, we weren't told not to eat this yet. Let's eat it anyway. They took a part of it. They figured out that they, you know, they started life naked and unashamed. Oh my God, that would be great. And they were like, that's awesome. Naked and unashamed. Then they went into sin and they realized, oh, I'm naked and now I'm ashamed. Why would it be great to be naked and unashamed? Because I don't have to worry about anything. Why? Because I'm in God's presence. Because I'm in his will. It's just a foreshadow. It's an idea. It's, it, it is a true story. But the point of it is, is that when you're in God's presence and you're in who he created you to be, you can be you and be okay being you. Isn't it interesting, though, like the fall? Isn't it interesting that we always want what we're not supposed to have? Like, we don't want what we actually have. Like, we're good with just, I don't want it, just don't take it from me. But I'm going to compromise everything I have to go get what I'm not supposed to. Man, human nature is a funny, funny thing, right? Yeah, that'd be great bottle of water thank you then you got genesis chapter four you got cain and abel show up thank you so much you got cain and abel show up right cain and abel cain is a gardener abel is a shepherd they both bring an offering uh, to god but abel's was accepted and cain's was not why go read the scriptures in genesis chapter four one was brought from the first fruits one was brought over a series of time what is god trying to teach i'm first Before your fruit, before your harvest, I was. After your harvest, I will be. I get everything first. I get your first energy. I get your first fruits. That was it. Genesis 4, 3 through 7, if you want to go read it for yourself. Then you got Genesis chapter 5. Adam's descendants show up. Uh, He knows the generations and the growth from Adam to Noah. He's connecting family lines. Here's the thing. Everything in the Bible is connected love story from God. Then you got Genesis 6, Noah and the flood. You know that one. We learned about it in in Sunday school growing up. You learned about it in our kids. We've talked about it here. Genesis 6, 5 and 8. God is looking for faithful people to save others from judgment. Here's what I want to say. You can be righteous in a time when it's not. And God sees it. It's not popular, and it's not great, and it's weird. Noah started building the ark way before way before it ever started to rain. He looked weird, but he was righteous. God had favor on him. Why? Because nobody else was righteous except him. It is estimated by theologians and historians that they were in the ark for about 377 days. From the time it began to the, through the rain, from the time it completely dried out to whenever they opened the doors and the giraffes were let off and that smell was finally let out Of closed doors. Then you got Genesis chapter 9, where the Noahic covenant comes in. The promise of the rainbow is taking place. And when God makes a promise, he won't break it. You got Genesis 9, Genesis 10, nations descend from Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They play a significant role in future stories as you read through Genesis. Then you got Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, which is where we stop movement one. We stop movement one, where God is creating new languages. Why would God create new languages among the people? Because they were building a tower for their glory. Church, you got to hear me. God is not interested in your glory. God is not interested in your platform if it doesn't give him the glory. Which is why we have to always say, you deserve the glory. You're worthy of it all. If I become the influencer, great. If I don't, great. God, you're worthy of it all. He throws chaos into the midst in Genesis chapter 11. Why? Because he wasn't getting the glory. They were building for their own platform. How much is there chaos going on in your life because you're trying to build a life for you and not him? How much of the chaos you're experiencing is because you're trying to get your agenda done? And God's going, hey, how about live for me for a second? Because watch this. When you live, it says, He created man and, and woman in His image. When I step out of the environment that I was created to live in, which is in the presence of God, things get chaotic. You take a seed out of soil and it will not grow, you take a fish out of water and it will die. You take a bird out of the air and it doesn't know what to do. Why? That's not the environment it was it was intended to live in. When we take ourselves out of God's presence and God's will, watch this. We don't know what to do, and chaos ensues. And that's what begins to happen at the Tower of Babel. So you got movement one takeaway is this God is first. So movement one is what? Creation. And the takeaway is God is first. Creation, God is first. Verses 1, chapters 1 through 11. And then let's move on. Let's move on to movement number 2. Movement number 2 is chapters 12 through 36. Are you? Is this helping anybody today? Like, I'm not trying to just teach history today. In chapters 12 through 36, we come to this place where movement number 2 is the covenant. Now, here's why the covenant is important. There's two significant examples of God and his covenant in the Bible. The first example of his covenant is, verse, is chapters 12 through 15. It's the covenant between Abram and Sarai. Their names will be changed. Now watch this, but they're changed post-covenant. Why? When you get a promise from God and you receive all that God has for you, it changes your identity. It should change who you are. It changes what you answer to. Call of Abram and Sarai began to take... here's what happens God looks at Abram and Sarah he goes pack up everything you know in your homeland and go to a land that I'm calling you to except whenever you pack it all into your Honda Pilot you're gonna have no idea where I'm taking you until I tell you I was telling the kids this last night Kylie looked at me and she goes that doesn't seem very fun and I was like what do you mean and she goes it doesn't seem very fun that you just start driving and then you wait on God to tell you where you're going Welcome to faith. Many of us won't trust God until he tells us where we're going. That is not faith. That is following a plan. Faith requires walking the plan even when you don't know the result. He looked at Abram and he said, pack up everything you know. Let's go to a place. He gets there, right? He's walking out faith. I'm trying to walk through this stuff quick. He gives, and God gives him as much land. What does he say? Go out and look at the land. All the land you can see is what? Yours. He gives him all the land that he can see, everything that he can see. Now, here's here's a thought. The higher you are, the more you can see. God took him up. He said, now look out, and all the land that you can see is yours. I will give you that as a reward of your faithfulness. Watch this. Some of us never move up, and so we never get more from God. Because we refuse to elevate ourselves. And some, because, why? Because, well, they won't go with me. Doesn't matter. When you go up, some people will go, some people will stay, and some people will wish they would go. You just gotta follow God. You just gotta level up in your thinking because everything that God wants for you is is in the next level of your life. He and Lot then begin to divide the herds because there were so many. He divides the herds. One thing, There was one thing in all this, so Abram had all this land, had a wife, had all these herds, which meant he had tons of money, all this stuff's taking place. There's one thing Abram wanted that he had never had, Genesis 15, 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Watch this. There was one thing Abram wanted above anything else. And it was to have an heir to everything God had given him. In other words, he wanted a child. And he says this. And Abram said, Since you have given me no offspring to me, given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Watch this. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from you, your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside, and he said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Watch this. Why is this important? Abram wanted one thing, a child. It's the thing he wanted the most. But the promise of the child never came until Abram was faithful with what God asked him to do and what God blessed him with. What if, what if God's promise for you is on the other side of your faithfulness? And so you're walking this out, and Abram gets this promise, 75 years old, right? About 75 years old. Ten years pass. He has no child. After this, he has no child. Watch this. Can you keep the faith even whenever you feel like God said something and now he's forgotten it? Even when you feel like God told you something, can you keep the faith? They couldn't. Sarai convinces Abram to go and have a a sleep with their servant, Hagar, and they have Ishmael. They have their own son. Watch this. They took God's promise into their own hands. How many of you, and you know what it did? It created chaos. How many of us in this room have tried to take God's promises into our own hands and force our way into God's promise? Creates nothing but problems ever. Ever. 99 years old, God shows up to remind Abram of the promise in Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 6. And then this is what is said in verse 17 and 17. In in 17, 1 through 6, he comes and God goes, remember when I told you this? Now watch, this is Abram's response. Then Abraham, notice his name is shifted. Why? The covenant's about to fulfill itself. Watch this. Then Abraham fell on his face and he laughed. And he said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? God spoke a promise to Abram. And now so much time has passed. Abraham goes, there ain't no way. You lied to me, God. Some of you are sitting in the room today, and you could promise yourself God lied to you. But watch. In Genesis 15... Uh, uh, through thirty six, or Genesis twenty one. Excuse me. In Genesis twenty one, God comes through. He has a son, and his name is Isaac. That's important because that's the next promise, the next example of the covenant in Genesis fifteen through thirty six. You have Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Isaac's descendants. Now this is all setting up to something else. Isaac shows up. Isaac has, it's Abraham, right? You got you to gotta know this. It's Abraham and then Isaac. And Isaac has a son. Do you know the son's name? Jacob. Jacob then has a son named Joseph. The descendants are beginning to take place. Why is this a part of Genesis? Because it's setting up the story of God's faithfulness in Genesis chapter 22. What did, Ab- what did God ask Abraham to do? Sacrifice Isaac on the altar. Why would God do that? It was the one thing Abraham wanted. It was the one thing he waited on and he doubted God about and he tried to make it happen himself. Why would God do that? Do we love what God gives us more than the one that gives it to us? What are we in love with? God or his stuff? Abraham passes the test. He takes him up. He's going to sacrifice Isaac. There's a ram in the bush. You can go read about it. All in Genesis chapter 22. Here's the takeaway of movement number two. God doesn't lie. So you got creation. God is first. You got covenant. God doesn't lie. Even, can I tell you something today? And I got to get through movement three real quick. But I need you to hear me. Even when you think God forgot about what he said. If he makes a promise, he don't lie. He will not go back on it. In fact, He can't go back on it because it's against his very nature. Creation, God is first. Covenant, God doesn't lie. Number three, the third movement is this, captivity. It's in chapters 37 through 50. You see captivity. You see where Joseph comes along. So you got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has a son named Joseph. Joseph becomes what? The favorite son, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. He gets the vision. His brothers begin to hate him because he thinks he's all this. So they take him, they throw him in a pit. This is kind of where we're at in our family devotion right now. Throw him in a pit, you know, and, 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 he, and he's sold into, into slavery. He's taken, and then he's framed for rape. And he's framed for all these other things that are taking place. Uh, uh, and he's thrown into prison. Joseph's life is just getting worse and worse. And then over time, what begins to take place is he earns favor in the palace of Pharaoh through the favor of God. Watch this. Genesis chapter 39, 20 through 21. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of God. Of the chief jailer. Prisoners don't get favor. What happened. Is Pharaoh. Now Pharaoh was not a man. Or not a name. Pharaoh is a position. So Pharaoh's change. And here's the thing. Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh's people can't interpret the dream. They say we hear about this man named Joseph in prison. He can interpret dreams. Because God's with him. So Pharaoh goes bring him to me. Tells him his dream, and Jacob, or sorry, Joseph interprets the dream. Right? What's he tell him? Hey, it's going to be this many years of famine, and this many years of this many years of of abundance, and this many years of famine. His brothers need food. They go to Egypt, where Joseph is ruler. Joseph now moves from prison to the guy that's over the distribution of the food, the number two in charge in Egypt. His brothers come in. This is where we're at. We need food. Joseph never tells them that he's their kid, that he's their brother for a long, long time. He goes, hey, go get dad. I'm speeding the story up. Go get dad. Bring him here. Eventually, he tells them that he's their brother. Israelites move to Egypt. Why? Because there was what? An abundance of food. Israelites moved to where they were. They spent many years enjoying the abundance of food and... Because a famine was coming. Why was there an abundance before there was a famine? So that they could store up. When you're in your good seasons, you better store up some things. A good season is always followed by a bad one. There's always abundance before there's famine. God will always provide, but if you don't steward it well, that's on you. And he looks at him. he tells him, I'm walking through it. Then what happens is they come in, they're in Egypt, Genesis 49, Jacob dies, dad dies. The brothers freak out. Joseph, dad's the only reason you kept us alive. He's dead now, keep us alive, don't hurt us. Give me two more minutes, guys. Keep us alive, don't hurt us. Don't, Here's, here, was, here was Joseph's response. His brothers came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, This is a picture of forgiveness. Don't be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. This is the point of captivity in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Here's your takeaway. You ready? God is good. Creation, God's first. Covenant, God don't lie. Watch this. Captivity, some of you are living in captivity right now. You feel like God has walked away from you, and all hell's breaking loose. And I just need to tell you something God's still good. What everybody else, and maybe even you, meant for evil, God can mean for good. God took him from a pit to a prison to the palace. Why? Because God is good. Your captivity is not the end. Your captivity is not where it all goes away. Your captivity is not where it all messes up. Your captivity is where God shows up. Your captivity is where God is showing, I'm good, even when everything else is not. Here's Genesis in a nutshell. I'm telling you, once you see it, you can't unsee it. God is first. God is our first. Before anything else, God is. Before you were, God was. God doesn't lie. If he told you something, you can bank on it. Just because you don't know when it's going to happen, don't mean it won't happen. Just because it's not happening when you want it to happen, don't mean it's not going to happen. God doesn't lie. And God is good. When everything around you is not, when everything around you is hard, when everything around you is difficult, when everything around you is frustrating, when everything around you is all hell breaking loose, God is good. That is Genesis. It's not just a book to read, it's not just where you get hung up in February of your one year reading uh, plan. God is first, God doesn't lie. God is good. And here's what I want you to walk away with today. I want you to walk away knowing those three things. That no matter what, he's good, he doesn't lie, and he's first. Every time. Can I pray over you real quick? Let's pray together at both locations. Father, I love you. Thank you for who you are. And God, there's things that we can take and live out in this this series and in today. Thank you for giving us the words. Thank you for giving us a little bit of time. And God, I pray that you would move in us and help us live out the gospel, live out the word of God this week. God, thank you for being first. That means you're in control of it all. You're the creator. I don't have to stress about it and worry about it because you're first. God, thank you. Thank you that you don't lie. You've promised us so many things, individually and personally corporately and in church, God, so much, you don't lie. Help us wait on your promises. And God, you're good. No matter what happens in our lives, you alone are good. God, we love you. We honor you. We worship you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate.